Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, growing in faith and friendship. I have uh, some Christmas things. Is, is it Christmas at home? Have, has the frenzy started to happen? Has the craziness of Christmas started to happen? And here's a box, because I'm going to talk about a box. I have a, a gift, a box covered with... Actually, last year's paper <laughs> and wrapped up. And these are, the, these are the things. What are the things outside this church that are happening right now? All kinds of crazy things. We start seeing red-faced, white-bearded, red-coated, happy Santas everywhere. And I must, in- I must say I enjoy it. I enjoy this Christmas until it gets a little confusing sometimes. Uh, you know, uh, so, some of the most important things we do are sort of writing lists of what are we going to get this Christmas. And if that red-faced, white-haired man doesn't ask our little grandchild or child, what would you like for Christmas if he forgets that? That's an awful thing. It's a terrible thing. Christmas. Well, I get myself caught up in the culture of Christmas, this glitz of Christmas, and I enjoy it. But I could easily go over the top with it. But I like to think, you know, that you come into church and now, now the word isn't glitz. It's not Merry Christmas the words changed, don't they? It's Advent. Advent, the coming of. And so I thought today I'd try and unpack the gift of Christmas. What does it really, really mean? Of course, I'm not going to be able to unpack it all, am I? Jesus? Nobody can unpack Jesus. Nobody, because he is God. Uh, so... Where do I start? Where does Jesus fit outside? Where does he fit outside? Does he fit outside? Or have we boxed him in for maybe a prayer around the Christmas table? The incarnation, the man called Jesus, he is fully human and fully God. Can we get our heads around any of this? I've been studying Mark lately, so you've got Mark coming in. <laughs> Mark. And it's a gospel so unlike Luke. I was wrapped up with Luke at, Luke at one time, now it's Mark. And Mark's gospel, fly, we, when we read Mark's gospel, we are flying through it. We are galloping through it because he has packed so much into his gospel. Mark's, gospels, uh, Mark's gospel brings uh, John into it, doesn't it, John the Baptist. And he's making a very big splash a laudable splash. He's baptizing. Remember the beginning of Mark? He's baptizing hundreds of people, and he's uh, shouting, make way for the Lord. And he says, I'm baptizing you with water. And there's one coming, 
There's one coming whose shoelaces I am not worthy to untie. And he is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So in Mark, we have the story of redemption being brought to the people in a new way. It's the Exodus, old, old story. God's presence, not now in the pillar of cloud and fire, but now bringing the Spirit of God through his Son, Jesus. This Jesus who will live in our hearts. And Mark is, uh, John is preparing them for the one who is to come, the Messiah saying, repent and be baptized, change your ways, prepare for the one who is bringing in the kingdom of God. And we see the humility of the man Jesus as he is baptized in the Jordan. This is God himself, God himself coming, but he's being baptized, just like all the others. And we hear the voice of God in Mark saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now those listening to these words would have understood that Jesus is son of God, also meant Messiah. Jesus' task is clear. He is the Messiah, and he is bringing God's kingdom in. He is bringing God's kingdom in through Mark, through the, what Mark shows us a prayer, through prayer, Jesus prays much in Mark. He's teaching, and he's healing, and he's doing incredibly powerful things. You know, Mark is the shortest gospel, And he's packed more events than all the others into this one gospel. And you do feel as though you're galloping on a horse. The main healings in Mark deal with those about unclean spirits called demons. And so many people were bringing either themselves or their children to this rabbi, this healer. And most of these took place in Galilee and the surrounding areas. And in Mark, Jesus has great compassion on the people. But you get the sense every now and then he needs to take time out. And he withdraws from the crowd. He gets tired like you and me and often is drained. And what is he drained by? Sometimes the lack of faith that he sees. And then occasionally in Mark, he's delighted, delighted by those few people who show incredible faith. And when we read Mark, we certainly cannot box Jesus into the meek and mild Jesus. The language he uses is certainly not politically correct. He is a leader who chooses fishermen. I don't know if you know any fishermen, but I've known quite a few fishermen in my life. I lived in uh, near Gloucester, Massachusetts, and that's where... um, the film, The Perfect Storm, was taken, and the, there are a lot of fishermen there. And I had the privilege of interviewing 20 fisher, fishermen's wives and uh, for a book that was going to be written. And when I was writing, uh, as I was interviewing these wives, I was amazed with them. Their language is not politically correct. These fishermen and fishermen's wives are strong people. And you, whatever 
is you get it. There's no, they don't circuit anything. They don't go round anything. They say it. They're direct. Um, and I was powerfully struck. And one of the women fishermen's wives said to me, they said, I don't have a master's degree, she said to me, but I have five generations of fishermen to offer. Can you imagine that? Five generations of fishermen. And that made me think as I was reading Mark. I was thinking, Jesus, the Lord of glory, this God, this, uh, who, who do we think he is? He chose fishermen. These strong, real guys. You know, I wonder if he'd chosen academics. They would have taken a lifetime to say yes to Jesus, I'm sure. Because they would have had to have gone to ask this and that and figured it out in their brains. But fishermen, they left generations of fishing. They left everything they had and they saw this man, and they wanted to follow him. Their lives were tough. Their lives were hard. The wives I interviewed were long-suffering women whose husbands were on the ships for weeks, and they would just pray that they came back. In the little village uh, of Gloucester, there is a, many places where you can see lists and lists of fishermen who have died uh, because of the this, this, this rough seas and the storms. And if you saw that, I hope you go to see that perfect storm. It's a wonderful movie. Or if you ever get the opportunity to. And why am I saying this? Is because who is this Jesus? I'm trying to unpack who Jesus is. And Jesus is and was in, on this earth a real, real man. And these women suffered and they survived through their faith. I'll tell you a few of the details because I think they're interesting. Uh, the church that they went to, there was Mary holding the boat. That was the church that they went to. And in their gardens, often you would see Mary under this kind of archway. And the archway was a bath sewn in half. And they were dotted, they are dotted. If you go to Gloucester now and see the backyards, you'll see these wonderful, uh, I love them. I think they, they, they really show uh, the love that these uh, women had for God and how Mary was uh, is, uh, sort of, it's their, their love for God. So anyway, Jesus asks the fishermen of Galilee to join them. So... Uh, and they were persuaded very easily because they recognized that this was the Messiah. This was the Messiah that had come. So this 100% human being called Jesus is bringing redemption to the house of Israel. The promised one has come. And he is proving his uh, godliness, his, his uh, messiahship as he teaches and performs incredible miracles. Well, as I was galloping through Mark, I came across this chapter 7. And it was a story of the Syrophoenician woman, and I'm going to read it to you now. 
It's from chapter 7, verses uh, 24 to 30. So Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit, she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syria, Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Now, when I came across this chapter, it was very hard for me. I mean, I I was bringing my 21st century brain to this person, this uh, woman, this woman who was very desperate, very needy, needy, and wanting Jesus to heal her daughter. And then Jesus said to her, "Uh, have I I come for you? Uh, I even thought it might be a a racial slur on this woman uh, and somewhat derogatory. Jesus says, "Uh, I have come, he, he came first for the Jews. That's what he was really saying. I have come first for the Jews. Am I to heal you? Now, this woman, she was an outsider. She was not Jewish. She was not brought up in a Jewish household. She was not bound by the Jewish laws and customs. Perhaps because she was free from all this learning, she could dare to hope. She had heard of the Messiah. So could she dare to hope that he, this Jesus, this great healer would consider her request to heal her daughter. Now, in Matthew, we read that the disciples wanted to keep her away. You see, Jesus was laying low after his experiences in the synagogue with the rabbis. Jesus was failing to meet the expectations of the leaders Basically, rather than believe on the Messiah, they were trumping up reasons to put him down. So he and his fishermen friends, you see, they didn't observe some of the customs like the washing of their hands and they ate and the washing of cups and pitchers. And as the pattern of Jesus often was, he used these incidents as teaching tools. So we find him later talking to the crowd about what makes a man unclean. In fact, the whole of Mark, we have these stories about unclean and and Jesus being the healer and making people clean. And then we have John the Baptist at the beginning, repent and turn, turn your ways. 
And, you know, Jesus, the real Jesus, unpacking him, sometimes he says hard words, not only to this woman, which I think were somewhat hard words, uh, but also he says some hard words to the Pharisees or to the teachers of the law. Um, and when they complained about the washing of the hands, he brings a, a, a words from Isaiah back, and he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. So let's go back to the Syrophoenician woman. There was this clash of cultures. Jesus was a Jew. He was the Messiah. This woman was a Greek. And she had come to Jesus. And the challenge that he put before her, is it right to toss the food for the children to the dogs? Well, the plan of God from the beginning was that that message went first to the children of Israel's but you ha when Jesus came together, Jesus and the woman, this clash of cultures was real. When I think about... So, there's so many things in my head. <laughs> uh, the clash of cultures when we go outside of this church are real. We don't always identify them because we are so caught up with them, aren't we? And it would be great if we could unpack Jesus, as it were, within our culture, that Jesus could come with us in our culture, that he could be real to us. So both Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman they're both so well aware of their own cultures. But as we can see from the outcome, Jesus heals her daughter. Neither of them are boxed in their culture. Jesus throws out the challenge, have I come for your people too? And the woman is up to the challenge. She has the answer straight away. I love this story because she is a strong woman. I see her like one of these fishermen wives. She is ready to tell Jesus, but surely, Lord, surely I can have what is come the crumbs from under the table. My 21st century sensibilities were pretty shocked at this conversation. And I must say, I admire the woman here. She is not trapped. She is not trapped. She has faith that this person who she sees before her is Lord. In fact, it is the first time in Mark that anyone calls Jesus Lord. And she is the one who does it. Lord. She brings that to the table. So 
She's not trapped by Jesus' word because she, like Jesus, uh, understands the accepted cultures. And both, at this moment in time, are living within their cultures, yet both can reach outside of their particular boxes. And we know that Jesus healed this woman. And in healing this woman, he's ushering the new kingdom in, isn't he? It is no longer just for the Jews. The message, the gospel message is now for the Jews and the Gentiles, for all. Her reply is beyond amazing. And Jesus is amazed at her reply. Do you know, I would love that Jesus would be amazed at me. I would love that Jesus could be amazed at our things that we do. You know, and, I, and I'm thinking about Christmas. And, you know, it, we all love, you know, we, we can enjoy Christmas. And, but can we, can we, are we boxing Jesus in or can we bring him in our Christmas, uh, bring him with us? and to break all the usual boundaries of Christmas that Christmas brings to us. Jesus, the man, the Son of God, the Jewish Messiah, has broken all boundaries. Yes, he has come for the house of Israel, but the plan is larger. It is for all people. The Syrophoenician, the outsider, came to Jesus. She was not fearful that he was not one of them. One, she, she saw that he was in a different culture, but she could see beyond her culture and find the Christ. And I pray that we will all find him in our Christmas, in our Christmas that brings the difficulties the Christmas that brings the laughter. I pray that we will continue to learn what the kingdom of God looks like in our homes. Isn't that the hardest place? To bring the kingdom of God into our homes and to break those things that bind us, those traditions that bind us, that we can sort of break out of our box step out of our boxed-in culture of Christmas and find true freedom and true faith. Um, I've written a, a poem, and I'm going to share this with you. It's a sort of a prayer, and it's called Not Gift Wrapped, Please. And it's a prayer that I hope that we can all pray somewhat for this Christmas. Teach me, Lord, to give the intangible gift. Not boxed with bright red ribbons or covered with sparkling paper. Help me to offer a smile, a tear, a cry, a cheer, 
something meaningful this year. Let me not leave you wrapped in swaddling clothes or purple robes or covered in linen and spices, boxed, inert, shelved. Help me, Lord, to give you the intangible gift, a risen, powerful Lord, someone meaningful this year. I do pray that you all have a wonderful Christmas and that we can find the kingdom in our homes. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.